Before we begin, I must give the mildest of warnings. While the Earl Deck strives to be a family-friendly podcast, some aspects of the Pokemon world may be mildly objectionable to some parents with young children. Today's episode features discussion that includes toilet humor prominently. The show remains PG, but some parents may not deem this suitable for children under the age of 8. Okay, enjoy the show. Welcome, friends, to the Earl Dex Pokemon Podcast, a podcast that asks, if this Pokemon were real, where might I find it in the real world? What would its moveset and ability be in the wild? Does its data even make sense? I am your host, Geo, and in answering these questions, we'll be discussing the real-life plants, animals, myths, legends, people, things, and even foods that inspired the Pokemon we know and love. It should be noted that we will be using data coming from the core series of games almost exclusively, venturing into the anime, spin-off games, or manga only when absolutely necessary to fill in some blanks, if at all. For our fourth episode, we'll be covering our noses as we discuss numbers 434 and 435 in the national decks, Stunky and Skuntank. Stunky and Skuntank are modeled after that most ignominious of woodland creatures, the skunk. Pokemon designers are huge fans of creatures associated with magical properties or folk tales, like the Salamander's association with fire informing the Charmander line, or the various adaptations of Japanese yokai, like Mawile, whose hair eats people. But with a creature like the skunk, fact is as strange as fiction. Skunks are infamous for their stench defense, spraying liquid on potential threats with such a foul smell from its rear that they can't help but run away. When taken to the logical Pokemon extreme, Stunky and Skuntank can very simply be thought of as farting Pokemon. Not only does its in-game cry mimic the sound of embellished flatulence, but its face is shaped, quite frankly, like a butt. Indeed, toilet humor is quite popular in Japan, with one of the most popular children's books of 2017 being Unko Kanji Doriru, or Poop Kanji Drills, in which a sentient poop professor teaches kids their 1006 characters. The Unko Poop Museum opened in 2019 in Yokohama, and one of my favorite anime and competing monster franchises, Digimon, has had an entire poop type, often translated in the West as filth, but undoubtedly the stylized pink soft serve is what it is. On top of all that, Skuntank adds a third aesthetic device, the pompadour hairstyle to explore. Stunky, the skunk Pokemon. It protects itself by spraying a noxious poison fluid from its rear that repels attackers. It aims for their faces and is accurate at over 16 feet. The stench spreads over a mile radius and lingers for 24 hours, driving Pokemon away. However, it is powerful enough to make people feel queasy up to a mile and a quarter away. Direct contact can cause fainting.
As previously mentioned, Stunky is essentially an exaggerated version of the real-world skunk. However, where other Pokémon exaggerate to such incredible degrees that they couldn't possibly exist on Earth, Stunky is a much more modest exaggeration. Stunky is stated to spray its noxious spray accurately at over 16 feet, or 5 meters, with such a stench that it can be smelled at a mile away, or 1.5 kilometers, by Pokémon, and can cause queasiness in humans at a mile and a quarter, or 2.5 kilometers away. This sounds pretty incredible, but in some ways, this is actually a downgrade from real skunks. While real-world skunks may only spray accurately at about 10 feet 3 meters, compared to Stunky's 16 feet 5 meters, it is sufficiently powerful to be detected by a human nose up to 3.5 miles, or 5.6 kilometers, downwind. And while the dex does not specify what the ill effects of coming into contact with Stunky's spray are, we know that in real life, besides smelling horrible, a skunk spray can cause irritation and even temporary blindness. In some ways, real-world skunks are already as or more impressive than the fictional Pokémon modeled after them. At 1.4.4 meters tall, Stunky actually falls well within the general size range of the typical American skunk. However, at 42.3 pounds, or 19.2 kilograms, Stunky is over twice as heavy as real-world skunks, roughly the weight of a single-person kayak. Unfortunately, the implications of Stunky's apparent denser body composition are outside my current ability to assess, so for now, all we can say for certain is that Stunky are a lot heavier than they might look. Skuntank, the Skunk Pokémon It sprays a vile-smelling fluid from the tip of its tail to attack. Its range is over 160 feet. The fluid smells worse the longer it is allowed to fester in its belly, so the stench of each spray dulls after a few squirts and varies with the Pokémon's diet. It has been known to take down prey with the fluid, but is then unable to eat it due to the stench of its own fluid. Attacks from above confound it, so it digs holes in the ground to make its nest. If Stunky appears to essentially be a normal skunk in most ways, Skuntank goes a good way toward the more fantastic exaggeration that Pokémon is so good at. Strangely, Skuntank no longer sprays from its rear, as Stunky did, but rather from the tip of its tail. Combined with the fact that Skuntank is explicitly stated to hold its fluid in its belly, and that its stench and composition change depending on its diet, it is even more bizarre that Skuntank's spray is not expelled through the anal glands as it is with Stunky or the real-world skunk. Still, making its tail into a weird stink hose seems to pay off for Skuntank as it is able to spray at a range of 160 feet, 49 meters, essentially 10 times the range of Stunky. This new adaptation means that Skuntank can even use its stink spray to take down prey, although this can backfire if Skuntank has been brewing up its spray for too long. While one might presume Stunky and Skuntank have a certain level of immunity to their own stink, this is apparently not so, as prey taken down with a particularly putrid level of stink spray may not be eaten by the Skuntank, and presumably left to rot. Oh, that's nasty. We also get two more small tidbits of information from Skuntank's dex entries that don't relate to its puissant scent. Skuntank is apparently vulnerable to attacks from above. This could be because Skuntank's tail folds over the top of it, creating a pompadour-like tuft of fur over its head that would make it difficult to look up very clearly. Perhaps to protect against this vulnerability, Skuntank burrows into the ground to make its nest. At 3 foot 3, 1 meter in height, Skuntank is roughly about as tall as a standard kitchen counter, 
That doesn't sound like much, but it's three times larger than Stunky, which you'll recall is roughly the same size as a real-world skunk. Weighing in at 84 pounds, 38 kilograms, a skuntank weighs about as much as a baby rhino. In fact, it's only slightly taller than one as well, so skuntank is essentially a baby rhino that can spray you like a skunk. Now that we've got a few basics of information about Stunky and Skuntank from the games, let's turn our attention to skunks in our real world. Stunky and Skuntank most closely resemble the pop culture notion of what a skunk should look like. Black, badger-like, with a distinctive white stripe or stripes going down its back, and ending in a big bushy tail. Like Flower from Bambi, or Pepe Le Pew from the old Looney Tune cartoons. Hello, young lover, whoever you are. I am Pepe Le Pew. In the real world, we actually have four genus of skunk to choose from. Apologies to any skunks listening if I butcher the pronunciation of your scientific genus names. The first two can easily be discounted. The Midas skunks, commonly referred to as stink badgers and native to Indonesia, are distinctly different in appearance from their western counterparts. And the Spilagale skunks, commonly referred to as spotted skunks, obviously have spots instead of the required stripes. That leaves two contenders, the Conopata skunks, also known as the hognosed skunks, and the Mephitis skunks, also known as the striped and hooded skunks. A quick look at Stunky and Skuntank's face will tell you that they are anything but hognosed, and so we have to go with the striped and hooded skunks of North America. Stink badgers of Indonesia aside, skunks are a decidedly new world animal. The striped badger in particular is native to most of North America, Canada, the United States, and northern Mexico. This was surprising to me personally, as cultures all over the world have a certain love for the distinctive woodland mammal, from skunk foo in Ireland to Animal Crossing and Sonic the Hedgehog side characters in Japan. Perhaps the most infamous fictional skunk already mentioned is the faux French skunk Pepe Le Pew, which doesn't really make sense since, as we've just discussed, skunks are only found in the Western Hemisphere and Indonesia. Hey, wait a minute. They figure in the myths and legends of the Muscogee and Winnebago peoples, where they were also sometimes kept as pets for their ability to kill rodents and pests, similar to a mouser cat. They used to be a large part of the North American fur trade. And speaking as an American, they remain a fixture in urban and semi-urban areas, especially in the parks and woodlands surrounding my work office. Interestingly, some people keep skunks in their homes by choice as pets. While not nearly so dangerous or inadvisable as keeping a crocodilian as a pet, you may want to lower your excitement if you just heard me say that and made a mad dash to your computer to see where you could find a pet skunk. Skunks are uncommon pets for a reason. There aren't likely to be many vets who can work with your skunk near you. There's no approved rabies vaccine for skunks in the United States, and laws on whether or not you may have a skunk stink gland surgically removed, or whether skunks may be kept as pets at all, differ wildly, not just from country to country, but by state and municipality. In general, obtaining and caring for a skunk is a lot more complicated and challenging than the average person is willing or able to go through, and there isn't anywhere near as much reputable advice on what to do if your skunk bites, refuses to use a litter box, or eats all your food, as there is for cats and dogs. In the wild, the infamous scent glands are the skunk's main defense against threats and predators. The scent glands are situated on opposite sides of the anus and contain 15 milliliters of spray each. That's roughly one tablespoon for my American listeners, though the idea of filling a tablespoon with skunk musk is enough to keep me out of the kitchen for the rest of the afternoon. That's disgusting. 
However, while Skuntank is said to take down prey with its sting spray, real-world skunks use their spray only in defense. They are primarily insectivorous, but will essentially eat anything smaller than itself that it can catch, whether mammal, reptile, bird, or fish. Their sharp claws are designed for tearing apart rotting logs and digging in soil, where it will find plenty of creepy crawlers for its main course, but they will also occasionally eat their fruits and vegetables when they can find them in season. Those claws serve a secondary purpose, as skunks may dig their own dens if they can't find an abandoned one to claim. Skuntank's dex entry mentions that it digs holes in the ground for its den, and that holds true for the real-world skunk. And just like with Skuntank, the real-world skunk's main threats come from above. The fact is that land mammals like foxes, badgers, or big cats that might prey on skunks have the distinct disadvantage of being at anus level with the skunk. Get out. Get out! And so are understandably unwilling to take their chances unless they're starving. Birds of prey, on the other hand, may be much more willing and able to risk a skunk's wrath as they can swoop in from above. Eagles, and especially great horned owls, have quite a bit of success hunting skunks and are therefore much more likely to chance an unpleasant encounter. Having discussed skunks sufficiently, and with fart jokes needing little explanation, we can now turn our attention to the meaning behind Skuntank's tail, which curls over its back to rest on its head, creating a tuft of fur heavily resembling the pompadour hairstyle. I find the design quite ingenious. Biologically, spraying from the tip of its tail, as mentioned in its dex entries, as opposed to from its anal glands, means that it can always see where it's shooting, and the tuft blocking its view upwards gives it an in-universe rationale for its vulnerability to birds of prey. It really is a great bit of well-thought-out creature design. Additionally, the way it is stylized into a pompadour is a very Japanese characterization of teenage delinquency that we see in a lot of dark types, like Scrafty and Obstagoon. The Pompadour hairstyle has a long history, starting with Madame de Pompadour, a mistress of King Louis XV of France. Interestingly, Madame de Pompadour never actually sported the hairstyle at all. The name was coined sometime in the early 20th century. Before then, it went by several names, such as the Fontania and the Gibson Girl, although The Great Gatsby, published in 1925, noticeably mentions that Jay Gatsby had a pompadour in his youth. So it appears by then the term was at least in semi-common usage, but even all the way through the 1950s, it was also called a quiff, the greaser, or thanks to a certain rhinestone-loving musician, the Elvis cut. Elvis's and James Dean's, the rebel without a cause, disruptive personas caused a wide variety of subcultures and countercultures to adopt the hairstyle for themselves and became heavily associated with greasers, rockabilly culture, various Latino cultures, and Italian-American cultures. While today the pompadour is occasionally trotted out as a fashion statement, or simply seen as a bit silly in the West, Japanese culture has maintained an affiliation between the pompadour hairstyle and juvenile delinquency. While I'd love to give a much more thorough recounting of the pompadour's history in Japan, I will only touch on the broad strokes because, as an American with limited knowledge of Japanese history and culture, I don't feel comfortable speaking too authoritatively on the subject. I would welcome gentle correction on anything I get totally wrong. Organized crime, biker gangs, and street thugs are frequently portrayed wearing a pompadour, also known as the regent in Japanese media. Part of this was because of precisely how it is that the regent gained its popularity in Japan. At the end of World War II, the Allies occupied Japan for seven years. 
During this time, the Allies imported, among various other things, pomade, which found its way into Japanese black markets. Rebellious teenagers, especially the disillusioned children of the rich pre-war aristocratic families, purchased large quantities of the stuff to style their hair in imitation of American soldiers and the movie stars of the early 20th century. Those youths were called the Sun Tribe, and they represented a clean break from the traditional Japan of old. Their parents saw them as the collapse of morality and order, and as the poorer youths of Japan became more able to spend money on vanity, they were criticized for buying pomade when they could be providing food for their family. In 1956, the Japanese equivalent of Rebel Without a Cause was released, titled Season of the Sun, which repopularized a shorter hairstyle among the upper classes. The lower classes, however, retained the regent, and with the popularity of Elvis and the rockabilly fad of 1958, it had cemented itself as the post-war haircut. From there, the regent went in and out of popularity for decades, almost always among the lower classes, thus leaving its stamp on Japanese culture forever. Today, it is still seen as a symbol of delinquency, but in a much more self-aware way, the way that Americans might see sunglasses and a leather jacket as bad boy clothes with an ironic wink. But whether sincere or ironic, the regent or the pompadour, it continues to be an easy symbol of delinquency seen in all manner of Japanese media, including Jojo's Bizarre Adventure and One Punch Man. Having tallied up all that we know about the specific kind of skunk Stunky and Skuntank are, as well as detailing the history of their kinda sorta tail hairstyle, we can say with a pretty easy confidence where Stunky and Skuntank would be found in our real world. The striped skunk is endemic to North America, found only in Canada, the United States, and Northern Mexico. And while the pompadour has a much more global footprint, so to speak, much of the main driving force behind its popularity come from early 20th century Hollywood, James Dean, and Elvis Presley, leaving us with no doubt that Stunky and Skuntank, much like the real-world skunk, is distinctively North American. Now that we've got all that out of the way, let's see what Stunky and Skuntank's abilities and moveset might be in the wild. Ability-wise, this is an open and shut case. Stunky and Skuntank both have access to Stench, Aftermath, and Keen Eye. I like the idea of Keen Eye because it feels like a way to make up for Skuntank's inability to perceive threats from above, but let's be honest, it is 100% Stench. So with that in mind, let's begin with Stunky. The dex entry for Stunky has a rather narrow focus, talking exclusively about Stunky's ability to, well, stink. So that seems like a good place to start. In terms of liquids being shot at opponents, there are a few options to consider. Acid Spray, Venoshock, and Venom Drench. Acid Spray seems a given, but given the lack of other information on Stunky, I'm inclined to keep all of them. Being able to use three different kinds of sprays also sort of plays into Stunky's apparent ability to differ the kind of spray based on its diet. Although, I'll admit, that's a little bit of a stretch. You know what? That's a Bikram yoga stretch. <laughs> you stretched the hell out of it. Good job. Good job. Still, Stunky is all about spraying, so that's what it's gonna do. The only problem is that Venoshock deals double damage against an opponent that's already poisoned, and Venom Drench lowers the attack, special attack, and speed of an opponent that's already been poisoned. To rectify this situation, it seems only natural that Stunky should also know a poisoning move, which brings us to either Poison Gas or Toxic. While Toxic is tempting as the more powerful of the two moves, I think I'll have to go with Poison Gas for one reason. 
so if anyone's got any good fart jokes, now would be the time. The fart joke. We must never forget that Stunky's shtick isn't just being a skunk, it's also being the butt of a joke. And so, poison gas it is. Moving along to Skuntank, we have a few more details that will hopefully help us build a more well-rounded moveset. I think Stunky's moveset makes a lot of sense, but it is totally defensive against steel types and can do very little against rival poison types. Unfortunately, Skuntank's move pool is largely unchanged in evolution with one exception, access to flamethrower. While this is not a move that is supported by anything we have seen in real-world skunks or the history of the Pompadour, it is difficult to ignore this fascinating addition to the move pool, and even more fascinating to ponder how it might work. Without going into too much detail, fire breathers in real life usually do so by spitting fuel from their mouths into an open flame. So my proposed solution then, is that Skuntank shoots a specialized chemical from its tail, then belches into that chemical, causing it to ignite, thus creating a flamethrower. This means that in order to give Skuntank a chance to defend its young Stunky from steel types, we'll need to use three out of the four move slots, one for flamethrower, and one each for the moves that make it happen. Just like with Stunky, we have Acid Spray, Venoshock, and Venom Drench to choose from, and I think we'll have to stick with Acid Spray out of the three. While Venoshock is more powerful, Skuntank won't be able to make full use of it without the ability to poison opponents, and Venom Drench won't do anything at all. The third move is what ignites the spray, Belch. Interestingly, Belch only works if a berry has been eaten during combat, so we have a much more concrete way to show off Skuntank's bizarre belly stuff. This leaves us with one slot left. Since Skuntank can't learn Dig on its own, we'll need a move to help it do its best with burrowing. The only real answer here is Fury Swipes. While not particularly powerful on its own, Skuntank more than makes up for that deficiency by belching on its own acid spray to create a flamethrower. Seriously, that's really cool. And we're done! All that's left is to put it all together using everything we've learned about Stunky and Skuntank, as well as their real-life parallel, the Striped Skunk. Let's see what the Earldex has to say about Stunky and Skuntank. Stunky, the Skunk Pokémon. Native to North America, Stunky can be found in urban and semi-urban areas as well as in woodlands. It uses a mix of potent sprays and gases from its rear to defend itself when threatened, allowing it to live free of fear from most terrestrial Pokémon. Skuntank, the Skunk Pokémon Unable to see above the fur of its tail, Skuntank will make a burrow for itself if it cannot find one. As it has gained mastery of different kinds of sprays and gases, it is able to mix those potent chemicals into a makeshift flamethrower to defend itself or to hunt. And with that, we have completed our fourth Earl Dex entry as well as our examination of the Stunky line, the Striped Skunk, and bizarrely, the history of the Pompadour. 10 down, at least 900 more to go. Thank you so much for listening. I have been your host Geo, and next time on the program, we'll be traveling to Unova, where we will discover our first two prehistoric Pokemon, numbers 564 and 565, Tertuga and Caracosta. See you then!